Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. And as usual, we're, we're six and a half years into this journey of talking with people who have great stories, uh, great wisdom to share, great experiences to share, both good and bad. We learn from all kinds of things in life. And um, we have just a wonderful guest today. He's a medical doctor and he's in New York City. Dr. Fred Pescatore. And what you do. Um, okay, well, that's a big, that's a big question. <laughs> How much time do we have? No, um, in, in, all, in all seriousness, I'm, I'm an internist by training. So a very traditionally minded internist by training, but I also tend to have opened, I've opened up my practice to sort of other ideas. So I tend to do, so you might consider me a complimentary medical doctor. So I do diets and nutrition and vitamins and anti-aging and just sort of, you know, looking at what else there is to heal you other than the very basic and very, um, I don't want to say basic, basic is not the right word, but the very traditional standard uh, standard of care, because there is so much out there and there is, and there's so many of us on the planet that I often feel for me, my educational experience and my um, knowledge of medicine has just been, I've always wanted to know more. Why, why, does, why does this happen and why does that happen? And so it's sort of taken me all over the world looking at different, different uh, experiences because not everyone has the same healthcare experience you or I might have. Uh, so it's been really interesting and fascinating for me to be able to have the opportunity to do things like that study with medicine men in, in Africa, study with Ayurvedic practitioners in India, just you know, do all sorts of things like that, all sorts of different Eastern philosophies as well. I love it, I love it. I, um, <clears throat> I'm remembering, I'm a musical conductor by training. Um, and so I, I teach people how to build high performing cultures. And so people would say, what is a conductor know about leadership? And I say a conductor knows about leadership. <laughs> <laughs> aren't you leading a band that's <laughs> right and they're all doing different things they're different instruments different personalities so we 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 create the harmony and the synergy so the the root of the the uh, name of organization center vision is the synergy that we create through a common vision and, and so being very clear on what we're about and so one of the quotes that comes to mind when you talk about that is from uh, ralph Vaughan williams the british composer conductor who was noted to have said music did not reveal all of its secrets to just one person. Now you could change music to medicine. You could change music to leadership. And so what you just talked about is gaining wisdom from multiple sources. We still get to decide which ones we think are credible or not, but what an inspiration to all those things you listed. So that is, that is amazing. Well, it's kind of, you know, I mean, just what you said. I mean, if you only learn one thing, then you go, you're going through life with blinders on, not understanding that you don't know that there's more out there. 
for you or that there's more out there than is just what's being told to you or from the one television station you might watch or the one radio station you might listen to or the one sportscaster that you like. You know, there's so many other opinions out there. And, and that's why for me, in order to be a well-rounded uh, physician, uh, I think that's the only way to really do it is to try to understand. Actually, because you have to understand as a doctor, you have to understand what makes the person tick and you have to understand what's wrong with them. Those are two completely different issues. Um, and uh, so, so it's really important to me to have learned, learned that fact. And a lot, of, a lot of very standard traditional medical doctors, especially in the West, do not understand that there's a person behind the diagnosis. And you could fix the diagnosis, but the person will still not be fixed. You know, you could say the same thing about leadership. <laughs> I, um, I'm, I'm pleased to tell you that my integrative, I guess it's kind of the same thing you're talking about, a doctor here, um, has gone out of the insurance system and it's, it's a DPC, direct physician care. I pay a monthly and get as much time. And he's so he's well-versed in all the things you're talked about, you're talking about. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the Dr. Fred show. Uh, for those people watching the video, they can see it and we'll post it on, if you're listening to this later on in a podcast, then you can look on the nonprofitexchange.org, click on the archives, you can, you can find this one. But tell us a little bit about the Dr. Fred Show and where pe can people find it? Well, the Dr. Fred Show is on YouTube. Um, and we've just started running them, uh, sort of little snippets of them on, um, on Instagram. Uh, and just to, to get, uh, they're just sort of little one to two minute episodes of just sort of here's the latest in the news today here uh, in the medical news we're talking medical news so here's the latest medical news here's a tidbit of you know of information that you might want here's a quick you know here's a quick snack recipe um, it goes from just sort of my take on health and just how people um, just sort of all offering up alternatives for different things. I mean, there's, there's probably 100 at least shows on there that we do and we do them regularly. And now with technology, you know, I, I've, been, I've been starting to do them virtually, which is great. So that makes it a lot easier than having to go into a studio. But it does, it's just really quick snippets of information. Maybe the, the max they'll be is two to three minutes long. And so it's a great way of just getting like little tidbits of knowledge. It's P-E-S-C-A-T-O-R-E. -E. So if you go to DR, which stands for doctor, drpescatore.com, you can find the landing page and that would direct you to where the videos are. And, you know, we could, I could talk about this topic all day. When I was getting my master's in coral conducting, I was 50. I was the oldest boy in my class. I spent half of my time in the library studying nutrition looking at all the resources on nutrition in addition to my music study. So that, that's a whole different body of knowledge. And, and since then, there's a whole different body of knowledge about leadership. So, you know, we, we want to give our listeners just some ideas of possibilities. Sometimes, and I know in this time of lockdown, some people are getting discouraged and we don't have our social network and there's just some synergy that we're missing. So what we do in the show is try to give people insights on possibilities. So how does medicine and philanthropy connect? Medicine and philanthropy go hand in hand, and they always have. Always have from the beginning of time. 
Um, people were usually, they, you know, if you look back in, in, in ages, people did not sign up to be a doctor. They did not go to medical school. They were called healers and they did it because they felt a calling. They felt that they had the ability, they had some knowledge to do it. They were looking through, rooting through herbs and roots and this and that to just to find anything that could help heal people. So medicine and philanthropy has gone hand in hand throughout time. Um, and I just think it's sort of as we developed into modern medicine, where it became more um, profit driven and less people driven, uh, is where we sort of lost the way in my mind and in, in, in how well uh, philanthropy and, and medicine goes. But if you just think about all the volunteer systems that are in hospitals and all of the, the, the aid organizations that are, all, that are medical related, Medicine and philanthropy, you know, from Doctors Without Borders to the Red Cross to, you know, UNICEF. I mean, whatever organization you think of, there's a medical philanthropic arm to them. Because as most, I mean, most people in the medical field are here to help and to give back. And um, that's kind of how I got involved in the whole, you know, the official version of philanthropy. I mean, I was a volunteer at a hospital my entire life, you know, since I was probably nine or 10 um, or when they let me in. Um, so, so I was always giving back, but I never realized it was what the term was in, until recently. Yeah, when I was a young and they didn't let children in hospitals, <laughs> you only had to be an adult. Um, I had the pleasure of working with a, a group for a couple of years. Uh, they call themselves PAMS, Peruvian American Medical Society. And they have a nonprofit here and one in Peru and it's Peruvian doctors doing mission trips to Peru because there's a lot of people in Peru without medical care. So that's, that's another really con good connection to uh, philanthropy and medicine. So we got, we got this word, this big word that some people don't know how to spell, philanthropy, P-H-I-L-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-Y. And um, what does that mean to you? What it means to me really is just giving back. Um, it's, it's I, 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 you know, I wanted to look up the root of this word. I'm sure you know what the root of this word is, um, whether it's, you know, wherever it comes from, just like the word doctor has really started in Greek for teacher. So it's sort of whatever the, the, the root for philanthropy is, is to me, it's really as simple as giving back. It's not, most people think of philanthropy as writing checks. I don't, I don't ever think of it about as writing a check. Yes, of course, you're, gonna, you're always going to donate something. And I think philanthropy, I mean, I was thinking about this earlier, what a huge space it can be, has become now when you think about GoFundMe programs, when you think about all the types of things that we can now do on the internet, which just involves the money part. I'm not, you know, like I said, for me, philanthropy is giving of myself. So I will go one month a year and dedicate my time, my services, and, you know, something to places like, like Pam's does, to places that are underserved medically, that can use some teaching, can use some, you know, can use some bringing up to date, bringing the whole uh, what they do and how they deliver care up to date. Because I even have a degree in public health, so I also have an administrative part component to it as well. So. I like to bring that knowledge with me. So to me, that's what philanthropy means, giving of yourself. And no matter what way it is, I don't care. That's brilliant. Um, you got one of our viewers there who's 
popping his buttons. He's fully happy to hear that explanation. So we're, we're gonna, we have some questions brewing. We have uh, some folks in, um, actually we have a viewer from Peru who's not part of that group. Um, yeah, come on, come on down. Um, so um, philanthropy, I guess the root words are philos and anthropos, you know, uh, love. Love. And humankind. And, and so you've given it a very direct, um, purposeful application, which I love. And, you know, we forget about hospitals and how much we need philanthropists to show up as volunteers. We sure do. I mean, we need, and, and, and we certainly could not have gotten through the crisis we just went through um, in New York City without volunteers. Um, I was a volunteer. I volunteered after I saw my patients during the day, I went and volunteered at Bellevue Hospital so that I could, you know, do whatever they needed to be done uh, and start lines. So hospitals are very, very, very needy of, or in need of more and more help because the more help, the more hands you have, the more hands-on you can become, the more time you have to take care of people, the more time you have to listen to what they have to say. And that really is, critical in medicine is listening to what people have to say with your eyes and your ears right absolutely i mean you are listening you are the whole gestalt because what a patient tells you and what you're asking them are often two different things so you have to be able to take the time to to get to know that um to get to know that about an individual or or just to get that knack that ability to read through what is someone telling me what are they really trying to say so I think that's really important in a lot of, uh, and leadership. <laughs> well, it, it occurs to me, and it has for, for quite a while, that we're a better leader if we take care of ourselves. So it could be love of self first. And, you know, when you get on a plane, they tell you to be sure to put the oxygen mask on your own face before you help your neighbor. Because if you're dead, you can't help them. <laughs> right. That is true. That is true. True enough, but I'm not sure that's so much the same in medicine. Can that be applied? Probably does. You know, I mean, doctors do. I mean, that's probably why doctors have one of the highest rates of suicide in the United States is because a lot of us don't practice self-care and don't take care of, of ourselves. And it's, it's a really bad system. I mean, I exercise, I eat right, I take vitamins, I do all, everything I need to do. I haven't taken a vacation yet this year. So that's one, one part of self-care that I've not done, but I need to do that soon. <laughs> you know, I, I have four leadership principles and the fourth one is about balance and that's caring for self because that makes everything else work. And so um, I do know that um, a lot of physicians I've known in the past have really worked so hard that they, they, they're stressed by the amount of work. And so um, you're in a very stressful occupation and there's other ones too. I mean, it's stressful being a policeman. It's stressful being a clergy person. Sure. Uh, so we, um, we don't have a corner, none of us a corner on that market, but talk a little bit about when, when did you first, when were you first aware of this, this element of philanthropy? You said you volunteered early, but when were you aware of it and, and how did you become a philanthropist? How old were you? Uh, I, now that you think about it, I started volunteering at hospitals when I was a teenager, um, when you could get your work permit. So that was, that was when I started volunteering. And I would volunteer all the time. Um, it was sort of a very big passion of mine. Um, so volunteering at hospitals was always something I knew I wanted to do. 
Uh, it wasn't until later in life, maybe about um, after meeting Bob Hopkins um, and learning exactly um, just how to put, to be able to put my skill set to use in a different way, um, in a way that could encourage other people to either uh, donate money, to, um, to have a cause. Um, and then for me, it immediately hit, hit me. Uh, what can I do as a human being to help other people? Um, and that's when I, was, I said to myself, well, you used to do that all the time when you were in a hospital, uh, when you were volunteering as a kid. So why don't, why don't you take that same opportunity and use it now? And so that's when, that's when I, so, so that big dawn about a decade ago that came that said, you know, I actually have value for other people. Um, whether it's, you know, whether it's teaching a skill, whether it's just opening up people's minds to other people. You know, one of the things that, uh, and this doesn't have, really doesn't have anything to do with philanthropy, but I think it really does. One of the most, I mean, I, I've written nine books and countless newsletters and whatever. But the thing to me that was printed, the thing I like the most or that I'm proud of the most is that I wrote a letter to the editor of Condé Nast Traveler. Mm -hmm. And because they were going on and on and on about how we shouldn't visit Myanmar and we shouldn't go there because the, the government's horrible and all of that stuff. And I had gone to Myanmar at that point three times. And, and I wrote a letter just saying the only way a lot of people in countries of that kind will learn about others is through interaction, is through human to human interaction. Uh, because their government's going to tell them that we're horrible people, that you know, we're the devil, we're this, we're that. But if you actually show somebody what you are and who you are and what you represent, I mean, I think that is, that's invaluable to a lot of people. So, so that's when I started realizing that human interaction in and of itself can be philanthropic. Amazing. I, um, I served um, PCUSA and United Methodist churches uh, of all sizes, up to 12,000 members. And when we invite people into the culture, we say uh, you expect to, to participate with your time, your talent, and your, and your, your gold, your gifts, your, your money. So there's a, there's a triple pledge. And to me, that, that's sort of a rounded view of what philanthropy is. You're, you're all in. And, and you know, the, the, um, I'm in a place now that I can do some giving to organizations. And it, it really is important, but it's more important to be there and to make sure that that, that, that vision is fully, fully implemented. Not that you're checking in, but you're part of making it happen. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point. It's, it's once you see how if someone opens up your mind like Bob did for me and then opens up, you open up somebody else's mind and, and it just, it, it makes people realize that the world would be, we could live in a happier and healthier place for all of us if we all learn to give of ourselves to someone else and not always think of our, put ourselves first. Um, and, and yes, we talked about self-care and self-care is important, but imagine if we all did something for someone else every day, mm -hmm. even if, even if it was to smile at someone, well, now you can't smile at anybody because they don't know whether you're smiling at them or not. But. Smile with your eyes. 
Yes, you have to smize. So um, <laughs> you have to smize. So, but uh, you know, so even in this challenging time, there's something you can do for other people that is just it just means something. And it just, it takes the anger away. It takes some of the loneliness away that people have. I think so many people feel isolated, even in this giant big city I live in. Mm -hmm. A lot of people can feel so isolated um, because, you know, it's just a big city and people ignore you wherever you go. Um, so it's kind of, uh, I think, important for all of us to know that we're all powerful when it comes to, we're all powerful philanthropic machines. And that doesn't mean we have to be the ones like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or the whatever foundation, you know, who's giving away billions and billions of dollars. They're powerful, but so are you. Each and every one of us is powerful um, to, to make changes. It's like the butterfly effect, basically. You heard it right here. Every one of us is important and everything we do is important and we contribute to the whole. So that's fascinating. Um, so you started we do anything, whether we do something bad or good, it's that same effect. You oh, know what I mean? Yeah. So, oh, so yeah. If we're doing nasty things to people or being unpleasant and unkind. That also has, has repercussions down the road. I just, it does. I just participated in a celebration for a friend of mine that died th uh, two and a half weeks ago of COVID and he was very compromised health wise. And he got it and it got in his lungs and he had some blood coming up and then he was texting one minute and gone the next. Mm -hmm. So um, I participated with um, 2,500 people online in a seven hour celebration. <laughs> but, but he created a culture, it's, it's a business, uh, business growth conference, it's a forum, it's a membership community called CEO Space. But the culture of the space, you show up, it's a networking place, which you pay to join, but you show up and they tell you, don't ask for anything, go to somebody and say, what are you working on? What do you need next? And how can I help you? Now, if that whole paradigm wouldn't change the culture around, I don't know what would, but everybody on the call was part of that culture and everybody on that call is a giver. So I think philanthropy is about giving, like you said, giving of self. And so how important is that right now when, when we're in this crucial, strange time? Yeah, yeah, it could probably not even, I mean, this is the best time you can do this. I mean, it's the time when we have to all take care of each other because that's what it's all about. It's not just taking care of me. It's about taking care of each one of us. Absolutely. And, and you're better if you're strong and rested and, and balanced. You're better positioned and better helped for others. So um, this book, um, which we'll we got some questions brewing and the people are chatting with each other, making deals in the background. <laughs> Going to Peru, Bob's, Bob's saying, invite me to Peru. So um, you mentioned Bob Hopkins, so you open, open that, that's topic. So I believe you were in this book called Philanthropy Misunderstood, which people can find at that URL, philanthropymisunderstood.org. So tell us a little about your story in that book. <laughs> Um, I think the story in the book just it 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 just tells people about where my how my story developed. Probably, actually, I, I think I probably mentioned it more today than I did in in that story. It's just it it to me um, being able to you know I live an extraordinarily blessed life. I think um, I have an amazing practice. Uh, you know, I've I've been able to write books. I've been able to make call, an influence. Um, in 
the world of, of internal medicine, the world of complementary medicine. So in, for me to stay grounded, you, you know, we talk about self-care. So for me to stay grounded in who I am as a doctor and what it really means to practice medicine, uh, it's really important that I go back to places where I go to the root base level of medicine where people, you know, people are dying from diarrhea when you can give them vitamin A, which costs a penny, and that stops their death from diarrhea. So, you know, to be able to go from this, you know, fancy practice that I have, you know, with people flying in private jets and blah, 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 you know, for me to be able to go to some place where I have to take care of someone who can't even afford, you know, to have normal sailing, they're so dehydrated because they're living on the equator, and then they're, they're some male person beats them up, and then they're left to die in the middle of nowhere, and all they need is hydration. And, and so, you know, to be able to, to contribute to people like that and to places like that and to teach the staff what to look for um, is amazing. We had one day, this was in my second trip, and it was to a place called Bagamoyo, Tanzania, which in that time was a really sleepy little town about 80 miles north of Dar. And one hospital for the whole entire region. And I, I would only take care of the women because the, the men were only in the hospitals because of, of them fighting each other. And the women were only in the hospitals because the men would beat them all up. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to help the men. I'm only going to help the women. So um, this one woman comes in and the doctor literally just said, she's dying. That's it. I'm like, she's not dying open up a line, you know, just start. I, I, so I told the nurses, like, get two lines in. They're like, well, her family's not here to buy, to buy the, the, the stuff. I said, here's the money, go and get it. And, you know, they always tell you not to give them the money, but it was like, literally, this woman was dying and it was less than a dollar, right? So I'm just like, just go get everything I need. Anyway, make a long story short, 10 minutes later, she's sitting up telling us what happened you know, as if nothing, you know, her brain was back working again. She was just, you know, living on the equator, having been beaten up and completely dehydrated. And, and they were writing her off as dead. So if I could make, you know, if they'll think about that one more time or two more times or 10 more times, then my entire going there for 30 days was worth it. Where was that again? That was in um, Tanzania in a town called Bagamoyo which has now been bought by the Chinese, actually. Um, and they're putting in a big container port there. <laughs> I, um, I drank coffee from, I drank coffee in the morning that I roast fresh from Tanzania. Uh, it's, it's really good stuff, but I, wouldn't wanna, I don't think I'd wanna live there. Um, no, it's not for the faint of heart. Or Timor or Kenya, some of the other places where I enjoy their coffee. Um, so, um, what are some other, you've, you've been taking some really interesting places with your, your journeys. What's another or some more interesting places you've been to be a philanthropist? Well, I've done it in places uh, like Kenya, um, Rwanda. Rwanda was very interesting to me because of the whole genocide part to it. And the interesting part about, um, about Rwanda was that uh, uh, I think it's um, the Bill and Hillary Clinton Foundation that supported Rwanda and built all of these hospitals. But as typically happens in that part of the world, they didn't send people to teach them how to use the equipment. And that happens 
I can't tell you how many times that happens. I, I also work on this little island in the Caribbean called Montserrat. And uh, they had a COVID machine, a testing machine, but didn't, no one taught them how to use it. So they used to have, they had to send all of their tests to another island and wait like three to four weeks to get the results back. So, so it happens everywhere. Um, so I actually went there and, I, and, and now, and now with the internet and everybody's so nicely connected in some ways is I can now connect myself to the hospitals directly. So I don't have to go through NGOs, which take up all your time and take up all your money and all of that stuff. I can go directly to the hospital and I'm like, so what are your needs? And they're like, well, we have all this equipment and don't know how to use it. So I'm like, fine, I'll come for a month and teach you guys how to use all this new brand new equipment, sparkling brand new equipment that you just got. And meanwhile, you go outside and, you know, people are carrying pigs and, you know, they're all gathered around the one watering hole that they, it was, it was very surreal, but, but fun nonetheless. I mean, I enjoy it and it's always a good time. I can tell <clears throat> those experiences have impacted your life massively. Oh, and incredibly, like, I don't understand why people don't do it more. Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why people don't donate more of their time to good causes or whatever cause they think is good. It doesn't yeah. have to be a cause I think is good. It's just something. Get off your behind and do something <laughs> worthwhile. Now, I'm, I'm a part of some worldwide uh, philanthropic movements. One is because I'm a member of, member of Rotary and I donate to the foundation and they're partnering with the Bill Gates Foundation to eliminate polio and they're pretty close. And then the um, Church and Society, the Methodist Church, the General Board of the Methodist Church, which looks out its window at the Capitol, um, is partnering with Gates Foundation to eliminate malaria. And those are tens of millions, you know, large numbers, 80, 90, 100,000 million dollar uh, programs that are massive worldwide, but they're through member organizations like Methodist churches, like Rotaries. So there's, there's a integrity to the process and an integrity how the money is spent, but there's also a cadre of people behind the money. So are you aware of any of those, those, those two movements and what do you think of those? I think one of them was at the Bagamoyo Hospital when, uh, because someone was funding all of their malaria research. Like they had a whole malaria research building. Um, and I knew it was some organization. I just didn't. I was so I was more on the other side of the the hospital than than that was. But um, I, I look. I think what, whatever you think, we have. There's lots of diseases out there, and we have to try to solve them. And we have to try to solve them in ways in countries that can't afford what we can afford to do, um, or what a lot of the Western uh, people can afford to do. Um, so any organization like that is very powerful and very meaningful and has a significant impact on the lives of people that live there. You know, it's not, and, and, and so when you're writing a check to those organizations, there are some amazing people that that money hires people who are willing to work for less money to live in the middle of nowhere, to live in adverse conditions and just, and I'm talking about you know, you know, my adverse conditions, um, but, you know, just people who, who are willing to do the jobs that need to be done, who are out, who are willing to be on, uh, you know, boots on the ground type of thing. And, and we need that because to throw money, we've learned, I think many times to throw money at thing at problems doesn't fix the problem. 
You've got to have the people, you've got to have the money, and you've got to have, you've got to kind of know what you're trying to learn and teach in that situation. Absolutely. And there's a lot of, you spoke about nutrition earlier on. So there's a component to health and philanthropy that's teaching people how to, how to, what they put in their mouth makes a difference. And there's a lot of, lot of stuff at your show. There's Dr. William Lee, there's Kulreet Chaudhry, who's a board certified um, neurologist. And she said, I, I had patients getting worse with my prescriptions. And I asked my mother what, what I should do. And mother said, well, Hey, how about Ayurvedic medicine? <laughs> so she, you know, she's a blend of that. <laughs> and so, um, and then Stephen Chaudhry talks about the lectins that are in our diet and how they actually feed that, you know, so there's all of these things are, and then you talked about vitamin A and a lot of, a lot of you talk about vitamin D and how those help build the immune system. So how does that part of education, you talked about the education for using the equipment, but is there a partnership with let's, let's build our bodies and stay healthy and build our, build our immune systems. So how does that work together in your mind? In my mind, how that works is um, when I'm traveling abroad in places that don't have any sort of uh, where they don't have basic health care, then I, I sort of are more interested in teaching them all how, you know, basic health care. But when I write my newsletters, when I do the, my, my Dr. Fred show, when I, you know, my newsletters, I write four newsletters a week. I write one monthly newsletter a month. You know, I'm in magazines all the time. I'm on the cover of a magazine this week. And last week I was on the cover of a different magazine. So that to me is teaching that element of nutrition. Because it's all everything I write about is all nutritionally oriented because there is a lot of there's already so much information out there about a lot of other things that nutrition is really where people are trying are coming back to you know they're coming back to basics and to me it's always been about basics I mean when I was a little kid my grandmother every weekend that's all we did every week my grandmother and I went and did the shopping for the week so we would go all over the city of New York to find the freshest chickens. I remember killing my own chickens when I was a kid. And, you know, the, the fish and leaving them in the, in, the, in the bathtub until they were ready to be killed that day. And just so, so I think so many people want to get back to basics of what do I eat? What is healthy for me? What is not healthy for me? Um, and really, you know, when you think about, you know, preparing yourself and preparing your immune system for anything that comes along, whether it be this pandemic or the next, if your body is in good shape, you are going to be able to handle things a lot better than if your body is not in good shape. And how do you keep your body in good shape? It's really quite simple. You eat correctly, you sleep correctly, and you exercise correctly. And if you ah. do those three things, you're pretty golden. Eat correctly. Eat correctly. Exercise correctly. And sleep correctly. That one got to got to do the eight hour thing and you got to sleep all the way through, right? You have to sleep. We have such a sleep deprivation problem in this country. It's unbelievable. I mean, I did a whole protocol just, just on sleep because people don't know the, the, the least they're all, okay, I'll just take a pill and sleep. Well, the, the, you can get yourself to learn how to sleep, but you know, we're all on devices all day long and like, you've got to shut your devices off. You can't have that blue light late at night. I mean, there's so many different things. You, you, you have to get yourself ready for sleeping. And we just don't do that anymore because everything's artificial. Everything's artificially stimulated somehow. 
you know, I can remember when I went out to feed the chickens and we got the eggs and my grandmother killed chickens and we got the fresh fruits and vegetables out of the yard. I didn't live with the, anywhere where that had a yard. So I had to go to another borough that had, that had farms um, in those days. Um, they don't have farms anymore, but they used to. Wow. Wow. So you're from New York. Yes, I am. Wow. I am. So it, it, it was challenging then. It's challenging now. <laughs> but we manage. We do okay. You have a wonderful, gracious spirit, enthusiastic spirit. I'm going to talk about our sponsor a minute, and then would you, would you entertain some questions from some view, from listeners out there? Sure, I'd be happy to. All right, we are one of our sponsors is a company called EZ Card, and um, if you're looking at the video, this is the CenterVision EZ Card that you can get on your phone, and all you have to do is send a text, and I'll show you. This is five-digit number six four six zero zero six four six zero zero and send a text uh, with the word LDR in the message, 64600 with LDR in the message, and you'll get this link back and you open it and you get this jiffy looking uh, all about Center Vision Leadership Foundation and all the rich resources that we have for you, the nonprofit leader. And if you look, click on this, non, um, let's see, nonprofit exchange videos, you look down here and look, here's the show of uh, Fred Pescatori and the show today, and you can see right there, um, you can see the mirror of what I'm showing. So it's live on, the, on our website as we speak. So you can get your own easy card and you can be in touch with all your supporters on text, always. We don't abuse that because we've abused email too much. So all those people are not opening emails, you can be in touch with them. And it's really important if you got a tragedy and you need to activate your volunteers, you could send a text and boom. And this is, by the way, a really good way to activate millennials. They live on cell phones and they live to text. So we have some folks out there. And um, I don't know if Mark. Okay. We have several people and we've already had some questions that were started. So um, let's start with Robert Hopkins. We've mentioned him already. He's thrown a, a question in there, but Bob, actually Bob introduced us. So Bob, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. And do you have something to, to say to Dr. Fred or a question? Bob, are you there? We can't hear you. Your mic is open. Huh, it's very quiet. So Bob, stand by. We're gonna see if Mark, Mark Morris, if you got a live feed and from Peru and can you open your mic? Do you have a comment or question? Mark, is, where are you, Mark? I'm in uh, Bucalpa, Peru on the border, eastern side of Peru on the border of Brazil in the Amazon jungle. So what brought you here today and what, what question or comment do you have for our guest? Uh, what brought me here is our, our, we're, our kids are on a one week vacation. So I actually, and we have a babysitter and I actually have time to attend. <laughs> Um, I am just absolutely inspired by uh, Dr. Fred's discussion. It's so many of the points resonate with me and I just hadn't taken time to pause and consider. Um, in our culture uh, from the United States, uh, we don't look often look at health until it starts going away. So just eating right, sleeping right and exercising makes total sense. And then using our time 
to volunteer and help people. Um, and I married a missionary and moved to Peru eight years ago. And that's what we do. We help with oh, that's great. food and medical. And there's a whole community in Peru of people that they're constantly sick. It's, it's stunningly amazing how, you know, I mean, we've done three emergency appendectomies in the last two weeks. And, wow. Uh, another one's getting flown in today. Uh, but, and, and, you know, we are not, uh, we have basic medical here. Uh, a lot of people don't want to go to the hospital because they're afraid they'll die because of the COVID. Mm, right. um, we, we've got, we've put a lot of kids in college and we've got a lot of graduates working in the medical industry now. So we've got people running a petty cash working in the hospital where the patient goes, the doctor says, okay, you need suture. And then if they don't have a volunteer to run across the street and buy suture, uh, then their surgery is over. And so she can throw in $2, $5, $8 and save a person's life if they're out of money. And it's just having the right people in the right place at the right time. And you can make a big difference. So Mark, and, you and I have known each other about 14, 15 years and You've been a philanthropist at volunteering in church settings and other settings, and now you're out there. So what, what about philanthropy has inspired you today? That you can really take your time and make a difference. Um, we don't have as many volunteers that come down as we could use. There's, there's, you can volunteer in your neighborhood at home. You can volunteer abroad. You get different experiences, like uh, the doctor's experience all over Africa, and it, it you know rounds you out as a person. You, you really can connect at the person-to-person -person level. Uh, money does not fix problems. People fix problems. Relationships fix problems. I think doc, the doctor Fred's just right on, and so kudos to your message. Thank you, Mark, for weighing in. We're I want to keep us moving. We're the clock's running. So, Fred, you want to respond before we call Bob in here? Oh, yeah, Mark. That was great. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for what you're doing. And maybe one day I'll end up in Peru with you. That would be great. I think um, Bob and Mark were talking on the chat. Bob, are you, are you back? <clears throat> you open your mic and uh, ask your questions and share some comments. Um, I'm not sure if he's having technical issues or not. He was on the chat a second ago. Um, Sandy or Jeffrey? Um, I'm here. I'm Bob, you're there. Come on in. This is, this is more difficult than I had anticipated. I don't know what's the matter. I am so excited that uh, Fred Pescatore is there with you, uh, Hugh. And um, it's good to see you again. We, you and I uh, worked together, I'm not sure how many years ago in Texas. And at the time, uh, you wrote a children's book. Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure what the children's book's name was. What was it? Feed Your Kids Well. Feed Your Kids Well. And I have a copy of that. And uh, we had a great time. I learned a lot. I think you changed my mind and my life. And that's why you're in my book. Um, one of the things I'm really curious about and interested in is giving and longevity and giving and self-esteem. I'm telling people that self-esteem has a lot to do with how you feel about yourself and giving makes you feel better. Can you tell me something about in self-esteem? Well, sure. I mean, I think, I think, I think we all 
giving can certainly give you an element or of, of self-esteem because you're doing something that not a lot of people are willing to do. You're giving of yourself, you're giving your time. Um, that to me allows you to feel, to, to, to feel proud maybe, to, to have self-esteem, to, to generate that. And, and I think, you know, if you're teaching someone how to, uh, another way of gaining self-esteem, to give of oneself is really a selfless act. And that is what a lot of people can, can call self-esteem. I think it's just, I, I don't know, Bob, that's a hard question for me because I never do it to feel better about myself. Um, I do it to understand myself better, if that makes sense. Um, because of what I do every day and the fact that, you know, I have a very thriving practice, I'm, I'm successful, um, I, I do it to almost uh, counter, not counteract that, that's not the word I'm looking for, but I, 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 I never look for self, I guess I do, I don't look for self-esteem in doing it. I look to do it as a balance for everything else that I've been blessed with in my life. I guess that's what philanthropy is for me as well, is to be able to balance that and being able to give as, and, and receive. I guess it's the whole giving, receiving thing. And if you give, you're, you're going to receive something. And if you receive self-esteem and, and back, then that's amazing. That's not what I get back out of it. I, I get balance back out of it. But we all get something different out of it. That's the beauty of philanthropy. That's the beauty. We all have different skills. We all have different uh, things that we can, can do. And uh, that's, that's the beauty of it all. And I think to your, uh, to, to just to acknowledge you, the fact that you opened up my eyes to, to what exactly I was doing and, and what the word can mean. And I think a lot of people have a very strict definition of what philanthropy means. And so I thank you. I thank everybody who takes part in this and, and helps to spread the word and to educate people about what they can do in order to be philanthropic. And it's not just about writing a big check that's this big and you know, is on TV. Right. Well, the reason I asked the question is because over and over again, I have, um, I've, when I do something good for somebody, it makes me joyful. And it's, I'm joyful because of the response that they give me, which is thank you and a hug and a kiss and, and praise and a thank you note maybe. And so therefore I know to feel joyful again, that it was probably uh, not just an accident that something happens, but it's my determination to go do something else for somebody else again. Because it's kind of a repetitive thing for me, knowing that I'm going to get a good result if I do something good. So it's almost on purpose that I know that about me that gives me you know, a reason to be a better person, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's true. I think that's what we, I mean, that, this is another way of learning about yourself is when you give and you see the feedback that you get and you see just, you know, maybe the next time you do it a little bit differently, you'd be more culturally sensitive this way. You know, it's just, it's, it's, we're learning as well. I think when we, when we do this stuff, we, I, I know I don't come in as the be all and end all expert. I'm learning. I'm in there learning just as well as I'm, you know, teaching. So I think Bob, you and I are on the same track with that. Thank you. Bob's a model for the vitality you get from being a philanthropist and Bob put a question in um, that we both have some interest in, and I won't tell you which one of us is older, but the, um, the relationship uh, of giving and longevity he was wanted to know about. Uh, I, think, I think how could it not increase your, your lifespan, right? How could it not? 
I mean, when you're doing something good for someone, when you're doing, you know, when you, when you're getting, I mean, the people who live longest are the ones that have the most social networks, the ones who are interactive with people, the ones that, that, uh, you know, just have networks and being a philanthropist is part of a very big network um, of people around the world. And you don't realize how quite big it is until you actually step into it. And it's so easy for all of us to get so caught up in our lives that you don't realize that there's time to do anything else. Um, and, and what Bob, I, I think the longevity part is true because anything that makes you happy and anything that makes you feel good increases your lifespan. We know that. Yeah. Unless it's of course heroin. I've not tried that yet. <laughs> and, and I'm sure you don't suggest it. No, not, not on my top 10 list of things to do. <laughs> Well, I do want to go to Peru. Uh, I'm in contact here with Mark Morris. I'm uh, curious. You know, it's been on my bucket list for a while, and it's so funny to have Mark be here and say that he does work in Peru. And um, yeah, I want to go. And so um, I'm hunting for things to do that has meaning, and I like to do volunteer work. I like to do volunteer work because some reason when you're paid to do it, you have to fulfill the expectation of the giver. When you do it for yourself, the joy you do it for yourself instead of for the other people it just happens to be at the end of the day both of you receive and give at the same time but the the, the giving to me is the, the the fun part so that i don't want to be paid because then i'd have to fulfill my the needs of the of the receiver right right i mean and you still do in some i mean you're, you're not going there but you know uh, guns blazing. This is it's my way or the highway. You're also learning. You're learning your audience as well every time you go and step into a different situation. Right. Well, I'm doing some work in Bangladesh right now. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but um, I'm doing a course with an um, anthropologist in Bangladesh. The two of us called Anthropology and Philanthropy, and um, for I'm learning a little bit about um, that topic. I don't know if you know anything about it or not, or not but um, I'm having a good time experiencing that. My next book, which is going to be called Philanthropy Understood, um, will be about that Bangladesh experience. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah. That's great. Keep it up. You do a lot of great work, Bob. Thank you. Bob's uh, inspiration, and thank you, all of you, for showing up today, and thank you for sharing. Um, so, um, so, Dr. Fred. Um, yes, sir. We've been locked up a lot. And some of us haven't been able to do the interpersonal connecting that we, that connecting with people in person, like we can't go to church like we did before. We can't go to the food bank. You know, we can't go to these places where we used to show up and, and kids aren't going to school. So there's a, there's a detriment to all of that, to our, our well-being, our emotional well-being. So you have any ideas how to, how to, now this term social distancing is so stupid we're more social than ever online, but we have to physical distance. <laughs> yeah, somebody somebody voted, I, I forget what they wanted to change socially distancing to. It was to some other word because that's, that's such a derogatory term really, um, to socially distance yourself from people. We don't want to socially distance ourselves from people. We're, we're humans, we're pack animals. But, um, uh, but to your point, I've been writing a lot about that in my newsletters and stuff. It's, it's how do you stay in contact 
without necessarily having that physical contact, especially if you're concerned with your elderly parents or things like that, which a lot of a lot of people are very concerned because we we do take we are integrated. The world is very much very much seamless these days. But I think um, is that what I've been trying to teach people to do is to use this time to uh, learn something about yourselves, to learn something that you're good at, to try, you know, I've been, I've been encouraging people to learn how to cook and do different cooking things. And this way you can cook with the family, you know, if you, you know, because the other thing I've realized in this whole situation is that there are family groups that have never spent this much time together, ever. So, you know, and, and so I get both sides, I get all sides. I get, oh yeah, this has been a great experience for us because my husband's finally around, he gets to eat dinner with the kids. And then I have others like, oh my God, I've not spent this time, so much time with my kids in years. Like, <laughs> please let them move out again. You know, so it's like, it's, it's the whole gamut of everything that I'm, that I'm experiencing um, when, I'm, when I'm talking to people. But, you know, we have to be able to do it we have to be able to know, we have to be comfortable, we have to follow guidelines. But I think if you do it, like I, I FaceTime with people now, people I, and, and Zoom with people around the world that I usually would just text with or, or an occasional you know, WhatsApp phone call. And now we're in contact all the time. So for me, it's almost been more contact than less. Yes, it's been less hugging, it's been less, you know, all of that, but it's been more, people actually taking the time out of their day to reach out and to make sure that you're okay and, and vice versa. So, so that's how we can make this a positive experience and not so much of a negative experience. And yes, I believe getting children back to school should take precedence over anything else than bars and restaurants. Being open. <laughs> yeah. I'm just wow. going to say that. I'm throwing that out there. I'll amen that. Now, you have a lot of colleagues that are behind you, including a lot of pa pediatricians. And, and yeah. so um, what philanthropy does is it unites us around the things that matter. And, um, you know, I, I spent some time on the streets in Atlanta when Martin Luther King was doing the sit-ins in 63, 64. And this, this nonviolent presence, this gracious, very direct presence. He was not mean, he was not hostile, but he spoke very directly and had these strong principles, model after Jesus, model after Gandhi, and had some really good coaches. And so that's a really good model to show up, be genuine, and connect people. People came together. And I was also sad a year later to be at his funeral. And, and But we don't have to die to have impact in people's lives. So as we're uh, we're ending this. I'm going to do another quick sponsor moment, but I'd like to invite you back uh, at, at the end to leave a closing thought or challenge. Uh, but real quickly, um, we got about one minute. What can we do to beef up our immune system? We hear vitamin A, vitamin D, lysine, cuts down the virus replication, humic acid. What's, you know, what can we do to, to fortify ourselves and our immune system? There are plenty of things to fortify our immune system. The things that have been used during this particular virus situation has been vitamin A, vitamin D, uh, vitamin C, and zinc. So the zinc is necessary to be taken as a lozenge um, because that, that's where the virus goes and the zinc kills the virus. 
Um, vitamin A keeps, the, keeps our mucus running so the virus doesn't get stuck there. Vitamin D, and we're talking large doses, not the dose your doctor wants to give you, which is 400 units. We're talking 10,000 units a day, 15,000 units a day. And uh, vitamin C, you should be taking at least 3,000 milligrams per day because we're one of the only mammals, I think there's two mammals on the planet, maybe three, that don't produce vitamin C. Us and like some little mouse. So we should be taking 3,000 milligrams of vitamin C every day, no matter what. So that has take, kept my immune system up and running. I haven't been sick one day, and I've seen patients every single day throughout this whole Your inspiration, and you, you just, your color is good, your demeanor is good, your energy level. Um, I'm inspired. I'm going to go take my vitamins. Um, yes. We want to talk about the, our, own, our own community. The Center Vision Leadership Foundation has this private community. It's a place you can talk to peers. It's a place where you can connect, just like Dr. Fred talked about. It's a place that we can support each other and we can learn how to do our jobs better. So go to nonprofitcommunity.org, nonprofitcommunity.org. Check out, and you, for a dollar, you can try it out. And you get hundreds of dollars worth of free stuff. So why not work on yourself? Why not work on lowering your stress? And why not work on your organization so we can have more impact and change people's lives. It's about philanthropy and it starts with us, the leader. So Dr. Fred, where can people find you? The drpescatory.com talks about the Dr. Fred show. And are your books listed there? There's, there's quite my a few. My books are there, my newsletter's there. You can sign up for the newsletter there. Everything you wanna ever know about me is <laughs> Googleable. Um, so you could find me pretty much anywhere, unfortunately. Well, that's great. And what do, you want to leave people with? what do you want to leave people with today? I want to challenge everyone to look through their day at one thing that either makes them angry, upset, stressed, annoyed, whatever, some negative emotion, and change the story. Well, Dr. Fred, it's been so great having you, and thank you for a wonderful interview today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And to everyone who tuned in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.